0: It's the Radius Podcast, recorded live
1: from New York City. Welcome. Uh, Radius Podcast. Here uh, today is January 8th, 2020. Here with Chris Sani uh, from NGKF, NKF, I don't know what to call. How about Newmark? Newmark. (laughs) Newmark. I have people tell me that NKF is correct and GKF. I don't know. I don't ever remember. Uh but Chris, thank you for being here today in the radius uh radius studio. My pleasure. Uh, one of the stats that Adam, one of our co-founders, was telling me today is that uh, normally podcasts die at or before seven episodes. So this is episode number eight. Oh, so so the Radius podcast is now going to be alive forever because of you. <laughs> oh, fantastic! Yeah. I thought you were telling me I'm the biggest loser. This is the one nobody will watch. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> this is this is what they call an inflection point. Uh, this is where our content lives forever. Um, so thank you. Uh, I got into self storage three years ago with, with uh, my team here, and when we were trying to um learn about the sector mm-hmm. back before we created any sort of data sets or platforms. Uh, the resource I came across was your mug on the CBO. I think it was on the CBRE website at that point. I don't remember if, if chronologically I'm playing that correctly, but the SSDS. Cushman. Cushman. So the Cushman stuff, uh, the SSDS report, which is kind of what I want to talk about. Cause you've been involved with data back before I was in college. <laughs> uh, That's correct. Yeah. Thank
0: you for the dating. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I, I'm I'm not that old, so it doesn't really say that much. Um but I wanted to get your perspective. I want to talk to you about like how you guys were trying to what you were doing at SSDS at Cushman, uh on the valuation side, um, leading the effort to to try and help inform the industry, which obviously, you know, due to you know us other players as well the industry looks a little different from a data standpoint now today. And hopefully it's, it's helping to to benefit everybody to make more informed decisions and just know what's going on. Um, but yeah, so help me, uh, help me understand how first, how you got into self storage (laughs) a little bit of the story. Uh, I, I personally like, like to hear that. Uh, and then we can get into, uh, how you, how you were leading the battle on trying to create data sets back before, uh, uh, any of this existed?
0: I'll try and give you the, uh, the short and sweet version, but I was uh, trained as a commercial real estate appraiser. And in the 90s, mid-90s, uh, I was asked to look at a portfolio of about 12 self-storage properties. And to your point, Corey, there was just a dearth, that limited amount of data that was available. Unlike other core asset classes that had, you know, rental data, occupancy, there was, you know, Supply and demand information that was just very, very limited. Um, and I loved the returns of the sector. I saw that they were cash flow based business. They had the What
1: high were prices. the cap rates when you were when you got in the business? It was always a ten. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, sometimes a nine. Yeah. Back in the day. I if it was start- a workout situation? Yeah. I remember we started easing down towards uh, the low eights. That was a big deal. Yeah, the spreads to other sectors was huge. And the supply and demand metrics were good. And as we tried to understand it, really, the Almanac was the source, really the the longest-term source, and SSDS, which was not really publicly available. Right. Uh, So I created a firm called Self-Storage Economics a little before 2000. And uh, we specialized in self-storage, but primarily in the Western United States. Started aggregating data, getting better things like operating expense data, and things like that. And then uh, that, I was acquired by Cushman in 2006 and tasked with going nationwide. And we did that. We had significant growth over the next nine and a half years, 18% revenue growth a year. And about eight years ago, we were starting to work more on portfolios and institutional underwriting. So we looked into... Obtaining the database SSDS with Ray Wilson, who was kind of the, um, you know, the founder of self storage appraisal, uh, from going back to the 1970s when public storage was its big client. So Ray came over to work with Cushman and the database, and uh, we worked from there. It was, uh, uh, this was prior to uh, many of the data sources that are available today. Coming into the
1: market, are you still looking to acquire uh, or sell uh, any data companies? Because uh, <laughs> you know we could we could uh, help you out there.
0: Well, you might have to talk to Aaron about that. But I mean, right now we just use the data for our own internal analytics and purposes. But SSDS is still with Cushman.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean when when we were getting into the into the game, we were trying to figure out what's going on. This was two thousand six end of 15 trying to figure out what was going on in the sector because there was just a, a cloak of, of uh mystery around uh, and what was happening with development activity, what was really going on with rates, what was going on with occupancy. And, you know, the, the Google search would always turn back to the SSDS reports that were coming out, which then they, they stopped. Uh, you know, I couldn't find them past like two, the end of 2015, I think it was 15 or fourteen. but that was what kind of spurred us to think, you know, this is it. This is all the data that's available in the industry. Uh, and it seems to have ended for some reason. Uh, maybe there's an opportunity here. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was uh, as funny because you were the first, uh, first face I ever saw in the self-storage industry when I was doing my Google searches right there. didn't discourage you. It didn't discourage me. Apparently. It encouraged me. <laughs> this is an industry I need to be belong, uh, be a part of. Well, it, it's interesting
0: that, uh, as you know, you know, the. I mean, I consider self-storage today a core sector, you know, equivalent to apartments industrial. We've got all the institutional investors, capital flow for debt and equity is very, very strong right now with a lot of new players, uh, including Blackstone most recently, putting in, I think, hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. So on the equity side. So, uh, and the data... Has now, I think, come up to an institutional standard comparable to other sectors, in part because of what you folks have been doing here at Union Real Time, and I think that that transparency of data, the veracity of that data, uh, really has encouraged capital flow
1: uh, to the sector. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny that that. I mean, from my standpoint, uh, and I haven't been in any other real estate asset classes, but um, I mean, self storage just doesn't get any better in my mind in terms of. It may be a single asset class in and of itself, but in terms of the underlying demand drivers, like office, you need businesses to employ to to, to rent your space. And if the economy goes down, there's less businesses. So it's a very cyclical sector. Yes. Uh, I mean, apartments uh, you know obviously, uh, as the economy turns down, people can pay less and things may impact uh, apartment occupancy. But in terms of self storage, <clears throat> the thing that I always come back to and why I love the sector is you have these structural elements uh, and counter cyclical elements in the demand side of how self-storage works in a down cycle. The economy slows down. Divorces tend to tend to pick up. Uh, and that's a driver of uh, one of the structural drivers of, of uh, self-storage demand. Uh, you know, you still have some cyclical elements in terms of businesses using self-storage and job growth tends to be the biggest, you know, Marginal, uh, you know, a source of demand for self storage, so it's not, it's not, it's not uh, uh, immune from cyclical patterns. But it's so diversified that the uh, the beta, I guess you could say, to to uh, a downturn in the economy, just looks very different than if you're investing in in office space or something else. So, well,
0: it's interesting if you look at uh, you know the the old adage for the sector is that you know, self-storage is recession-resistant, right? Um, and the returns point that out. If you look at NAIRED data do in, in a time series event of, say, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years, uh, self-storage in those increments has the highest overall yield, including that's cash-on-cash cash dividend return and appreciation. And it also has the lowest standard deviation, so it's the least elastic. Yeah. yeah, And so... It proves it's proved itself out and uh, it's interesting at the you know this is sort of the self storage reIT week if you will where we do a lot of things here in New York and uh, in meeting with people uh, doing some presentations and also going to the state seminar of the New York State and also the ebank uh, investor uh, symposium uh, you know there's it's interesting because everyone says there's still more capital coming to People say, how do we diversify our portfolio and get it into stored? storage?"
1: Right. Here's a question I've been thinking about. Uh, would you, and this is, I'm leading you with this question, I guess. Would you say that most people uh, that are active in the sector are transitioning uh, from a development mindset to more deploying capital towards acquisitions? Yes. And uh, I think there's concerns of oversupply.
0: Which, of course, again, the data becomes critical to make the right decisions about supply and demand in the trade area. Not so much, and this is a unique factor of self-storage too, because your trade areas are relatively small, they're more measurable, you're not really competing in an MSA with somebody who's maybe 10 or 15 miles away. So as a result, the supply and demand metrics can be measured where your primary customer base is going to be so that veracity of that data becomes even more important for self-storage because the big killer for self-storage is oversupply because the only
1: cure is time and population growth so if 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 more if all the capital is transitioning from development when i say all i'd say a lot of the capital is going from i'm going to try and develop a self-storage facility mm-hmm. to i am mean, they can prepare for the downturn from a recently you know um built facility I'm going to hope hope that it goes into distress or I'm just going to start buying mom and pops like that that's the seems to be the the structural trend in the industry right now but if you think about that wouldn't that mean that if you could find an area that has the rates demographics and other aspects of uh what you would need to build a facility that now is the best time to be in development
0: well it's a good point because You know, sure, there's a certain herd mentality, right? Right. The way an industry will go for self-storage in all sectors. But I can go into an oversupplied MSA, and I guarantee you we could probably find a trade area that's underserved, where there's upward pressure on rates, and that's another great thing about self-storage because, and it's the hard thing because it's very granular, right? You really have to drill down into that trade area can't just say, well, L.A. is doing better than Kansas City, therefore I'll build in L.A. or something. You know, it really has to get granular data, which, Yeah, um, makes it more important in understanding the supply and demand metrics, the demographics behind it. You mentioned job growth. I think also, of, you know, population, percentage of renters, average household size and average household income. And we use those metrics to kind of metric model to forecast, stabilized demand for a trade area by measuring it to other trade areas with similar demographics.
1: Right. We were talking about that. Uh, I think, uh, I think there's more to come there in terms of what, what we can do and what we can try and think about helping people to the same degree. People think about seven square feet per capita is one of those metrics, even though it's actually more like five and a half, probably six now. Yeah. Uh, after we've actually mapped the entire country and took a look at what the square feet actually looks like. But uh there's more to come there. I think we're going to do some work on, uh, on, on uh, maybe introducing a, a metric or two to help people think about how much can I push rate at this facility relative to the incomes around the facility. Uh, what basically, what rates can be supported by the underlying incomes in your trade area? Which is, which is what we were talking about. You know, perhaps uh, it sounds like you guys have already kind of cracked that code, but maybe um, making that more. Widely known. You want to talk about that? Go for it. Sure. So we've been
0: doing some analytics on, you know, <clears throat> comparing how much are people willing to pay? There's complex algorithms with revenue management systems that large operators and the REITs are very, very good at. But it's, since 80% of the industry is mom and pop owned, we're looking for other metrics that would help us to understand, like you mentioned, the supply per square foot is an interesting metric that can be used as a benchmark. So, is there a benchmark? One of the things we found, we do about uh, about a thousand valuations a year of self storage assets throughout the country. So, we aggregate data and we've been comparing the at what we call the cost of occupancy. So, what it is is it's the annual average cost to rent a unit. So, you take the potential gross income divided by the number of units. And the potential gross income means what they're actually getting on the occupied units and what you would forecast market rent on the vacant units. Right. This is for stabilized
1: assets. Right. So in-place rents, the revenue those in-place people are generating and potentially what the vacant units could be generating on the rents that are prevailing in the market around it. Precisely. And you divide it and you annualize that,
0: you know, the monthly rate annualized, and divide it by the total number of units to get this number. Call it $2,500 yep. a year. And then you compare it to the average household income, call it a hundred thousand a year. That'd be two and a half percent. So, uh, you know, think of things you spend two and a half percent of your average household income on. Starbucks. Starbucks. I know a lot of folks that have bar tabs higher than that, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there are things we don't think about a lot. And that creates tenant kind of stickiness, the ability to raise revenue. Um, and I think that's an interesting metric because what we found is that about Two and a half percent in most markets, New York, it's, you can get into the threes, but in most other markets throughout MSAs I'm speaking of, uh, about two and a half percent is kind of the ceiling. So if there's an MSA that has say below one and a half percent, it would suggest that there's a lot more room in that MSA for revenue enhancement
1: to increase rents. Right. Uh. Right, so so just creating a metric to understand based on how much people are making in an area. Generally speaking, they're willing to spend two and a half percent of that, uh, for a unit, for grandma's plates,
0: and all my other emotional memories.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I use self storage from the time I left high school in, in college. I mean, on I use it every summer when i when I'd leave college. God but bless then, you and thank you. <laughs> So, and we used it a little bit in, when I lived in Colorado. I, mean, I still remember the old public storage orange doors. We had drive-up units. Uh, I'm not sure why we used it at that point. It's probably for grandma's stuff, <laughs> uh, or one of the relatives. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, and then in, 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 I mean, you just it, it becomes just this this safe haven where you it, it bleeds you every month. And you don't, under you know, realize it. But, you know, I, I was storing my skis in there and doing other things that, what else am I going to do? Am I going to throw it away? Probably would have been the prudent decision just buy a a, a new pair of all well, the money I saved. But that's just how uh, human brains work, I think. They have difficult times letting letting go of
0: those. Things. Yeah, well, and your folks are saying, hey, you're in college. You're, you're an adult. Don't store it at my place anymore
1: yeah well I was in New york versus uh, my my home was in college so the shipping costs would have been too high but yeah but uh um yeah no I, I that that that's a that's a interesting metric to help people frame up like uh where are rents relative to what people can afford
0: it is interesting and we've we've tested it uh with some folks that have more complex algorithms and had some interesting correlations. Fairly good. Um, uh, seems we're, we're pretty close about 80% of the time we've tested it to larger portfolios. And so, I, you know, it's not the answer, but it's it's a, it's a nice, simple metric to your point uh, in terms of square feet per capita or this ratio or cost of occupancy. analysis.
1: Right. On the stuff that you're analyzing, you're doing the big institutional stuff for the most part. Um, so you may not be seeing this yet, but have you seen any push in the new assets you've been uh, underwriting on the uh, automation side? Have you seen any of the new stuff out there with the, you know, Janice's got the Noki, key, um, other things like that. Have you seen any real tangible evidence that people are implementing the stuff yet? And, and if you are, does it make a difference from a valuation standpoint? Great point. Um, From,
0: It's mostly anecdotal. In other words, we come across it, but I haven't seen a huge trend. I think the thought that I get from the market is that over the next decade or two, it is the way to go as the technology improves. You've seen some of the uh, robots that work pretty well. Uh, I know a company, I believe, in Australia or something that has a pretty impressive system. The machine actually moves around the complex.
1: And I think Storage King actually has a facility like that. That they, yeah. uh, that yeah. they have Brands a big, group. yeah, big, big arm that moves the unit down to you. Yeah,
0: yeah. So they're uh, so, yeah. I think it's it's a really interesting growth because you know on site costs, of property managers is very expensive, and currently one of the concerns of expenses increasing in the sector uh, with wage growth, um, but also I think. Uh, you know there still is uh you know I, I always think of the managers in the old day it used to be the retired couple, right? The you know the blue haired lady and her husband, the smoker, you know, in the office and you walk in and they're you, know, you get all this. So I think it's interesting to see that uh the improvement in on site management and you know just that it's more customer based, uh the way people experience self storage, because they shop online, right, for the most mm-hmm. part but then they come in and what's the experience and people have that sense of safety and comfort and security that is so important to them sort of those psychographic data points that are really hard to measure but it still seem to matter in the sector so it's going to be interesting over the next years to see how quickly automation can be accepted by the customer because it certainly would change Uh, valuation you know on-site management's what one of the larger expense categories
1: if you were evaluating two facilities today uh, holding everything constant one had the bluetooth unlock your door with your phone and one had standard sliding lock doors is there any real consideration from a valuation standpoint about how you would how you would look at like basically the, the 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 value at that facility what p- someone should pay for it because it's you know there are upwards of like 200 dollars a door to put in one of these bluetooth locks. um at times a thousand doors you're talking about 200 grand on a facility that costs 10 million bucks like that's a big figure uh i think there are tremendous benefits but the question is, is do those benefits at this point necessitate you spending 200,000 so from a valuation standpoint do you look at it any differently yet
0: it's a 6.3 percent increase
1: no I'm kidding yeah
0: I don't we don't exactly know because in part the how is the customer going to react to that? somebody your age no problem you're going to love it right folks my age some may resist right they may not be comfortable with the technology
1: well, it may be something you've experienced after you already agree to pay whatever price you're paying. Right. You may not be able to increase. So or you could you'd have to increase I'm not making smaller. the argument against it. I just I'm trying to figure out how how I, I can see how the convenience factor goes up exponentially from my standpoint, it'd be awesome. I hated carrying around those keys on my keychain or figuring out where they were every six months when I gotta <laughs> go do it. Yeah. But uh when I'm making the decision of extra space down the street versus cube smart versus public storage, I'm as an uninformed consumer, I'm likely not going to have the frame of mind to know that this one's got automatic doors, this one's got locked doors. It's not the first thing that pops up. It's, is it climate? Is it on the first floor? Bam. All right, I'll go pay for it. Then I show up and it unlocks with my phone. That's a great bonus, but did it mean that I actually paid more for the unit?
0: I don't think we have the data to make a real determinant of that, but I think um, I would say that in general, it probably is going to increase your competitive position a bit, right? because you have some features. That's what amenities do. It may not get you a lot more money initially, but it might increase your competitive position a little bit. It's like, think of a modern new facility compared to, you know, a 30-year-old self-storage facility. Even if the 30-year-old facility, even though it's still looks, you know, it's garage doors, right, essentially, that, that roll up, uh, you know, people like the new and shiny, and, and self-storage design has changed and gotten much more... You know, it doesn't look like self-storage anymore. Yeah. So I think that, the again, the customer experience coming in uh, and saying, well, that's a nice feature.
1: Yeah, maybe they go home and they tell their friends about it, and, and, and that's the reason why that friend goes to the facility. Yeah. So that that's the difficult part is, is kind of understanding how this actually impacts, because it's awesome technology. Uh, I think it's so cool. Yes. But then I've been thinking a lot more about actually where the rubber hits the road in terms of when you're building one you're going to put an extra $200,000 into a facility actually put those in where is my confidence level that I'm going to get a return on that investment yep that's the key so i don't i don't have an answer It doesn't we sound like that yeah, there, I is one, there is have one there's yet. one
0: data yet yeah
1: yeah what do you think uh the storage industry is going to be talking about in twelve months from now. I didn't prep you with this question. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. So, is it still supply, uh, or is it something else? Well,
0: outside of exogenous factors like something large in the economy,
1: like Iran firing missiles,
0: at. that 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 would be a good example. Yes, and uncertainty in the markets, which you know always means you know it's about confidence, and that that can create challenges. Uh, hopefully many of these issues will be resolved. But after the election, I think there's going to be a little bit of caution. Most folks have this sense, what I get from the market sentiment, is that a lot of people have this sense of confidence through the election, not only for the economy in general, but self-storage particularly. And then after that, there are concerns of, of how long will this cycle continue to grow. Now, many pundits have been wrong, you know, over the last few years because of the length of this rate cycle we've had, uh, just think of interest rates a year ago were 85 basis points higher. I think in our survey research we do, of market participants, nobody forecasts that. So I think probably people will be a little bit kind of, you know, uh, being worried. There'll be caution. And I think there'll be people that are more nervous about people being nervous. Yeah because there's uncertainty.
1: So, not a question about who you want to win, but who do you think is going to win uh the election later this year? Because that's obviously kind of plays into what you're talking about in terms of fear of if it's a democrat, you know, obviously consumer protections and and uh you know the SSA uh, advocacy becomes more important uh, yes. or, or if uh you know Trump gets reelected, it's a it's a different uh it's a different path. So who's going to, who's going to win the election. Well, I don't know. I thought to, I'm in New York city. I have to say Bloomberg, right? Yeah, I think so too. Okay. Yeah. All right. We're, uh, we're at 29 minutes. Uh, and I think structurally self storage podcasts are only allowed to go 30 minutes. So I think we'll probably just send it here. That, that's enough on self storage yeah. discussion yeah. for yeah. the day. Yeah. Uh, Chris, thanks for coming. Uh, great, great to, to see here. you. Thank you very uh, much. Legend in the, in the self storage industry. The first First mug I ever saw when I started uh, started looking into it. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. So, All right. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Chris. You've been listening to the Radius Podcast.
0: Don't miss a beat. Subscribe today and stay up to date on self-storage. And come and hang out with us at RadiusPlus.com. We'd love to hear from you.